Hey there, it's Susan Pierce Thompson and welcome to the weekly vlog. So I got this question a bunch recently. Uh, cacao, is it really not allowed in Bright Line Eating? Like what's the official word SPT? Um, and I was like, really? That's not covered in the FAQs? And uh, apparently it just said cocoa, not cacao. And there's a difference. So, um, so there are these cacao beans. And if you take raw cacao, pe cacao beans and cold press them and remove the cocoa butter um, and then grind it up, you've got cacao powder, raw cacao powder, which preserves the living enzymes and, and removes most of the fat. If you take these raw cacao beans and roast them at high temperatures, you turn them into cocoa beans. Um, the fat's still in there, and now you've roasted them, which changes the flavor just a little bit. Um, and then they take those roasted cocoa beans and uh, turn those into powder, and then usually add sugar and add often dairy um, and turn that into chocolate. Okay. Um, so, Raw cacao powder is, has become quite the superfood or raw cacao beans, and they do have a fair number of health benefits. Um, they're a super high calorie density food, uh, super high food density. And, um, the raw cacao has, again, some living enzymes in it. It's got a lot of antioxidants. And, you know, people who eat a little bit of it, um, show health benefits from that. Okay. So, what do I make of that from a Brightline eating perspective? So I'm going to say this first, and then I'm going to say it again at the end, because you may have forgotten, <laughs> or maybe not believe me, but there are no Brightline eating police. So just saying, Brightline eating doesn't work like, uh, you know, like, like I'm the law and I tell you what you can do. That's not how it goes. You have individual responsibility. So you do what you want. And I play the sort of, you know, I'm like on the scientific advisory board of Brightline Eating and I lay out sort of a series of recommendations. I share what I've seen work and not work. I've been doing this for 16 years in, uh, for the first many years of that. Well, actually, I've been doing this, uh, actually for about 24 years, uh, just really badly. <laughs> for the first eight, eight years of that, in the sense that I was in a 12-step program for compulsive overeaters and I didn't have much physical recovery, but I was in a community of people who were trying different versions of, of Bright Lines and seeing what worked. So I did actually accumulate a lot of experience from those years, including uh, for myself, trying the experiment of giving up sugar but not flour, um, giving up sugar and white flour but not brown flour, um, giving up sugar and flour, but not giving up artificial sweeteners. Like I ran all those experiments over those years. They were very, very helpful years in the sense of that data collection sort of, uh, yeah, in that sense. Anyway. So anyway, I share with you what I've seen work and not work in general, because I've just seen a lot in these years and that's it. And then you do what you want. Um, I'll remind you of that at the end. There are no bright line eating police, even me. Um, but as much as I appreciate that the people who are writing in were asking me to weigh in and, and lay down the law, uh, which I'm not a fan of doing and I will not do, you know, there is no law around here. You do what you want. Um, 
I appreciate the sense in which they felt like um, the guidance hadn't been clear, that I hadn't weighed in clearly um, on cacao powder. And um, my staff was flabbergasted by that. They're like, go see the vlog on it. And they were like, there isn't a vlog on it. And they're like, what? So everybody's madly searching for the vlog on cacao powder. And sure enough, there's no vlog on it. So everyone was like, how is that possible? So, okay, here's the vlog on it. I think the reason people got confused and thought that it had been settled was that there was this moment on stage at the family reunion, the annual live event of Brightline Eating, um, in San Diego a couple years back where Ari Witten was on stage as a guest speaker speaking and um, mentioned that uh, for whatever benefit or uh, mentioned cacao powder. And the whole crowd roared at him like, we don't eat that. And he was like, wait, 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 what? What do you mean cacao powder? What? There's no sugar in that. And everyone was like, we don't eat it. <laughs> and he was like, seriously, that's not addictive. It's like bitter. It's not even sweet. Cacao powder? Are we talking about the same thing? And everyone's like, yeah, Ari, we don't eat it. And he's like, okay. And the crowd was almost at that point in a tizzy. Like they were, um, yeah, he, he could tell that it was a conversation that was not going to go well if he continued it. So he would, he just backed down and he's like, okay. All right. Bright line eaters don't eat cacao powder. So I think, and everyone laughed. I mean, it was a funny moment, but, um, he didn't, he didn't really understand why, but people were like, it's basically, it's too close to chocolate. Like, we don't do it, right? And in essence, that actually is the answer. It's too close to chocolate. We don't do it. But in this vlog, because that is um, a little bit uh, unsatisfying for someone who has read the literature and knows the scientific benefits of cacao powder, let me explain at a scientific level what that means, like like why, where that comes from. So um, our eating behavior is in large part governed by something called a conditioned taste preference. And there've been a series of studies done on this where um, now, if you don't know, and I apologize for this because I, I am not one who's done these experiments myself, and I know that for many people it's a moral issue using rodents or other animals in research, but the digestive systems um, and the parts of the brain that govern eating behavior in rodents are extremely similar to humans. And for that reason, eating behavior in humans is often studied in rodents because you can do manipulations in rodents. Um, with proper, they, they have to get ethical approval to do this and they use proper um, anesthesia and uh, assure that the animals aren't going through any pain and so forth. But anyway, I'm about to describe some experiments that were done with rodents. They weren't particularly invasive. Um, but I just want to say there is a large uh, body of literature that uh, will substantiate that there's reason to think that this translate, translates fairly vertically to human eating behavior. So anyway, they would take rats and um, they would give them access to either cherry flavored water or grape flavored water. Um, and while they were tasting one or the other, this was a randomized controlled trial. So some rats got the cherry and some rats got the grape. And then after a period of time, they would be switched. They injected straight into the rat's stomach, straight into the rat's stomach, some um, 
partially digested starch, meaning pretty much pure glucose, like straight up carbohydrate. And um, the rats came to like the flavor of the water where they got the glucose in the stomach more than the other one. So with one flavor, they got the glucose. With the other flavor, they didn't. And they came to prefer the flavor. They became conditioned to the taste. Now, later research showed that that taste was 90% smell. It was almost, the effect was almost exclusively carried by smell. Further experiments showed that that conditioned taste preference works for fat, for the presence of fat injected into the stomach, or the presence of protein. All three, all three, all three macronutrient molecules will do it. Later research showed that calorie density by itself, just injecting a bolus of calories into the stomach will do it. And later research showed that the presence of a sweet taste on the tongue will amplify the effect immeasurably. And these preferences that wire up over time drive our eating behavior. Additional research shows that stimulants like those present in caffeine, Theophylline, which is the molecule present in caffeinated tea, which isn't actually caffeine, it's a different molecule, it's theophylline, and theobromine, which is the stimulant that's present in cacao powder and cocoa powder, and therefore chocolate, which is a stimulant, very similar, it's like a first cousin of caffeine, will amplify the addictive effect of any food. Think Coca-Cola, think chocolate, etc. Now, in chocolate, you've got an almost lethal combination for a food addict of extreme calorie density, high levels of fat, high levels of sugar, a very singular flavor that's incredibly pleasant, and theobromine, a stimulant that will give you a lift. Research by Yale University shows that Chocolate is in the top three most addictive foods for all human beings and the number one most addictive food for women. And again, a lot of this effect is driven by the olfactory system, which means you smell it before it even hits your tongue. Now, let's rewind to my kitchen about a year or two ago. David being coached by Ari Witten, <laughs> and David's like a three on the susceptibility scale, started supplementing his coffee in the morning with raw cacao powder. So we had some lying around the house, otherwise I never would have even known what it was like. And I decided to run the experiment. First thing I noticed, I opened the bag and the smell hit my system and it was unmistakable. My system screamed chocolate. It was not ambiguous. Have you ever had raw cacao powder? Your system goes chocolate <laughs> when it smells it, right? It's just the smell. That's what chocolate smells like, is that. And um, I remembered Ari Witten at the live event saying, it's not even sweet, it's bitter. It doesn't even taste good. So I mixed some of it into my oatmeal. And the next day I mixed about five times that much into my oatmeal. And the next day I made David hide the bag. <laughs> 
<laughs> like, I have no business eating raw cacao powder. Experiment done. Now, here's the thing. I always hated chocolate. I never ate chocolate. I was not a chocolate addict at all. I'm one of the rare women who just doesn't, I, chocolate and I don't get along. Didn't matter. You know, with years of, you know, doing bright line eating under my belt, that stuff was as rewarding in terms of like, you know, food reward value, just sensory stimulation as anything that ever comes into my kitchen. Like that stuff was crack. Like for sure. I was super clear about it. Now I'm a 10 plus plus on the susceptibility scale. So, you know, what, could it be different for you? It could. Do you want to run the experiment yourself? Be my guest. If you want to really protect your bright lines, I don't recommend it. It's an experiment that's not likely to go well. Why? Because if you live in our culture, even if you didn't like chocolate and didn't seek it out as a frequent experience when you were in the food, you have already guaranteed a system with a nose and taste buds and a digestive tract that's been wired up to have a driving condition taste preference for the olfactory experience of cacao, cocoa, any of the above. Because you've had chocolate in the past and that chocolate has delivered to your stomach and your digestive system an outrageous bolus of calorie density, fat, and sugar that has been correlated with a stimulant hit of theobromine that has driven you in advance to want that food again. Now the substrate of that driving want is a molecule called dopamine. Dopamine gets released in the nucleus accumbens. And here's the thing. Once, you f once you're familiar with a food, it gets released in advance of the food's delivery. I'm gonna say that again. The way dopamine works in the nucleus accumbens is actually once you're familiar with a food, the dopamine spike in the nucleus accumbens gets delivered in advance of the food's delivery. You smell it or you see it or both, you know it's coming and the dopamine spikes in the nucleus accumbens. Here at Brightline Eating, we're aware that that dopamine spike in the nucleus accumbens is the driver of food addiction. It downregulates the dopamine receptors, leaving them bleak and weak and lifeless, thinner, less numerous, making you feel itchy and like you have a craving to get another hit. Another piece of chocolate, another whatever it is, sugar flour fix, drive across town, whatever your, you know, another piece of pizza, whatever your hit is, right? Whatever it is. So if you want your brain to heal, smelling cacao powder is not a good idea. Tasting cacao powder is not a good idea. Your brain is already wired up, whether there's actually the sugar in it now or not, whether there's actually the fat in it now or not. It's still very high calorie density. It still has the theobromine. It will deliver just from the olfactory properties alone in advance of you even consuming it. It will deliver a spike of dopamine to your nucleus accumbens that will keep your brain from healing. It will keep cravings alive. Therefore, scientifically speaking, I'm just saying how the brain works. It will keep cravings alive 
and it will keep you craving other foods, even if you weren't a chocolate addict, because it will keep the brain from healing. So if you want my recommendation, I would say cacao powder is out, but I'm going to come back around again. There are no Brightline eating police. Are there people in Brightline eating who eat, you know, raw cacao powder as part of their plan or who eat a square of super duper duper dark chocolate every single night on their plan? There are. I know of some. Is it working for them? I don't know. I haven't talked to them lately. I don't know. I was coaching someone on a Bright Lifers coaching call the other day who couldn't lose her excess weight and she eats chocolate every night. A, you know, a bar of super duper dark chocolate. Is that why she can't lose her weight? I don't know. I invited her to take out the chocolate and run the experiment and see. So I think that's all I have to say about that. If you need me to officially weigh in, I have weighed in. Cacao powder is not recommended for bright line eating. But that's just a recommendation. That's just a guideline. You know, I understand it's health. If you're into the health of cacao and you keep being driven back to it in your mind, I invite you to get curious about that. And I'm curious, are you drinking green tea matcha, which has 60 times the antioxidants of raw cacao powder? 60 times with a healthier form of that stimulant lift. Um, and, uh, is associated with a 45% reduction in breast cancer in women, very powerful anti-cancer, uh, properties beyond what cacao has. Are you eating blueberries at least once or twice a day? Are you eating all of the steamed greens that you possibly can consume? There's lots of things to eat that deliver powerful health benefits without putting your brain and your bright line eating program at risk. So, you know, for me, the way I think about it is this. Yes, cacao powder is healthy for people who can tolerate it. For me, it increases the risk that I'll do something like eat a, eat a pint of ice cream or two at night. <laughs> and that is so unhealthy that it would negate and then some any of the little health benefits that cacao might deliver. Like the risk of breaking bright lines is just not worth it for me. But I... I just described to you, I ran the experiment. I, David brought some cacao powder into our house and I was curious. I don't even know where he keeps it now. It's not, not my food. That is not my food. That's poison to me. And uh, feel free to run the experiment and see what you think. That's the weekly vlog. I'll see you next week.